Well, our considerations in the Ten Commandments brings us this evening to the Fifth Commandment. Fifth Commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Family life and the God-ordained structure that it should have and relationships within it. And it's interesting, isn't it, that as really here we have moved from what we call the first table of the law, the first four commandments, that in a very kind of distinctive way have God in focus and how we are to honour him. Now we're to have a day in which we are able to remember to honour him. But as we then turn towards our neighbour, loving our neighbour as ourself, first we have family life placed there before we come to Treating people with respect, respect for their lives, for their property, possessions, for how we speak to them, speak about them, and how we should be curbed in expression of sin against them, covetousness, whatever else it might be. And really, it is saying to us that family life is important to be able to have all of those other commandments respected. That's where you learn to have respect for other people, respect for your parents, other brothers and sisters, or as a family, respecting other families, other children, parents, and those situations which then prepare us for life ahead and other relationships we'll have, preparing us, socialising us in order to be, well, helpful, useful citizens who are respecting a person's property and their rights and uh, their livelihoods and their reputations by not lying about them, for instance. And of course, within that, when it can extend it, I'm not particularly going to do that this evening, but other authority figures besides parents, uh, magistrates and rulers and governors, we can think of school teachers and the police, we can think of pastors indeed and churches and more and other situations beside that. But one thing is for sure that when family breaks down, the other commandments break down with it. And sadly, of course, and well, there are so many different reasons why families break down, aren't there? And quite a few of us have experienced some of those things, some of those difficulties. There it is. We know, and it's painful. It can be very, very difficult. But we can see that children often don't fare so well where family has, and for that's bad rather than sad reasons, broken down and missed something perhaps there. Not always. Every child's different and how they respond and the circumstances of that family break down. But very often, sadly the case, isn't it, that a lot of those who end up in the criminal justice system have not had the most promising and helpful family life behind them. So though we ourselves uh, won't have their young children, some of us will one day have young children, others of us have got grown-up children or growing-up children, or have other relatives that we look upon there almost as our own children. But what can we think about under this heading of the Fifth Commandment, which I entitled the sermon, Authority Figures? Well, the first heading is this, unruly children. <laughs> unruly children. It's not as if a child is some crazy, out-of-control creature. Not as though... Uh, Children there just inevitably 
Always, always, always doing the wrong thing and mischief making. Well, somehow I guess they are. But we learn actually, don't we, that actually all children, in fact all of us, are born with original sin. And we bring that into the world. And that is the fact of our human condition. We don't know fully understanding the purposes of God, how that this is so. But that is the judgment that fell on our first parents in the garden. And we all of us, all of us bear that impact and bring sin with us into the world. Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth, said David, in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. He was born out of wedlock or any such thing as that. But this, the whole environment in which he was born, parents were sinners. They transmit sin to their seed. And that is the effect of the fall. There's no reason, therefore, not to have children. But it is to be wise as parents, as human beings relating to other human beings, children in this case, that there is original sin. Well, how beautiful babies are. How wonderful, lovely things to have, aren't they, just and to hold? But the rebellion is there, and the rebellion will be found sooner or later. Uh, willingness to be lawless, as may be the occasion. I was reading, actually, with Holocaust Memorial Day just uh, a few days ago, the diary of Anne Frank, and this was actually, I mean, you could weep, but it was just a few days before her family, who were hiding, of course, in the Netherlands, there from the Nazis, a Jewish family, uh, trying to escape the horrors of what genocide was unleashed. And a few days, in fact, before they were uh, arrested, and um, of course, Anne Frank died in a concentration camp, or the family did, but for a father. But she wrote that she believed in her heart that all people were good. That actually, in the human heart, we, we are good. And, well, you could weep, couldn't you, really? That's that young girl there, full of optimism and hope, and that was about, really, to be cruelly crushed. And, well, we can't quite agree with her there. So the sentiment was, was good and strong, and uh, all the optimism and hope of a young life. But, no, we're born in sin. And I suppose Nazi Germany showed only too clearly that, that sin. And within that... There is therefore the God-ordained commandment to children. It's given to them, isn't it, here, that they should honour their parents, that they should give respect to them because their parents, and that came through in Hebrews 12, at their best, and we've got more to say about that, but at their best are there to help curb the results of original sin. Can't cure it, but can limit it. Restricts it. Family is part of common grace given to sinful children to bring their sin at least under a measure of mastery and of self-control. You can be saved to your parents, not if you're born in a Christian home. That's it. Nothing more to be said. You're automatically a Christian. But we can see that there is this giving of family life as a way there to bring restraint Training, a word that comes through, doesn't it, very strongly, but a training for young people. Prepare them for life, to prepare them from expressing absurd levels of selfishness and violence and cruelty to others and stealing from others and such things as that. So Proverbs, we read a section of that, and there are a couple of Proverbs there about children. Verse 6 of Proverbs 22, train, there's the word again, train up a child. And the way he should go when he is old, 
he will not depart from it. But left to their own devices, disaster. Go around November the 5th, don't leave children with boxes of matches. Disaster will follow. It will not be a constructive outcome. And children left to their own devices, well, there won't be a good outcome. There's a training, uh, teaching, limiting and restricting and a bit of discipline as well, which we'll come to in a moment. But then there is the promise, a blessing, that that learnt well, learnt early, that softening of the impact of original sin, that training of higher instincts, even if the child isn't converted. Nevertheless, the respect that is there is valuable for society. There is some a pathway of evil, a more gross kind of selfishness, self-centeredness that won't be there. And that is valuable for all of that. So family life is given by God's grace, by family life. Well, the ideal, you know, this doesn't always happen, does it? And the father and a mother, and the appropriate biological sex, we may also add. But where not always in a fallen world, accidents, illnesses claim the lives, don't they, of parents? And we, we know and some of us there are part of a story of, of divorce and the unhappiness that that brings. But staying with Proverbs 22 there in verse 15, this idea of original sin is there with us. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. It's foolishness there. Well, there's plenty else too, but that original sin will be there, will express itself. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. And there's your bit of discipline that is brought to bear upon it, a training and a restricting and a limiting of certain behaviours. And if those behaviours are still indulged, well, then as necessary, a bit of chastisement is to follow. But notice that Proverbs begins, if you're turning back to the, the earlier chapters of it, with so much appeal to young people. In a way, the whole book of Proverbs might have been just written for young people, for children, make them wise, growing up in a rather evil world, a corrupt world. And the beginning of Proverbs, the earlier chapters, where it's not so much these short sayings, but more extended treatments of subjects. And so much of it is an appeal, an appeal to young people, to children, just to Let's find a few there. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. My son, and we take this to be the words of Solomon, my son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. It's a blessing. It's there actually in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, that it may go well with you. If you honour your parents, it will go well with you. Your character, the nature of you will, will actually be a blessing and there'll be good things that will perhaps follow from that. So we see that appeal there. Lengthier one in Proverbs 2, verse 1. Hear this, and this isn't given, is it, in a sort of detached and unemotive way. You really feel Solomon as a father speaking here with much yearning, longing. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom, apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver 
Search for her as for hidden treasures, and you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. We could have read on. Now we could have read other chapters where that same appeal and instruction to the young. Why Solomon's putting his heart and soul into this, isn't he? All he is saying. Because within it, of course, he is saying there, the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. You will find the knowledge of God. All the good things that follow from that, you will be shielded by him. You will have sound wisdom stored up because that's what he has. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then the ornaments. Well, what will that person grow up to have? An understanding of righteousness, justice, equity, and every good path. They'll be discerning and wise. They will have good judgment to exercise. So it would run from that. So within it, there is the necessary role of correction that uh, has to be imposed to bring the more unruly, perhaps, to see better ways. Proverbs 19, verse 18, chasten your son while there is hope. Do not set your heart on his destruction. That, uh, again, left to the own devices, the outcomes may be a little bit disappointing. Sparing in it, and that's not all that there is to it. You think from some parenting guides and instructions, that's all there is to it, that it's all about rods and correction. Well, no, because we've seen earlier, it's appeal. There is an appeal there. There is an entreaty urging the child, well, basically consider God. Take that wisdom. Solomon speaks here, doesn't he, in the room of God in that way that he is bringing the instruction of God. Therefore, take it seriously. And so the appeal is made very, very strongly. Well, young people there, and well, I say this with a wry smile, I mean, very opinionated. I think they do know better than their, their adults, their parents, or whatever else. Well, that is it, and sometimes there have to be some hard lessons learned in life to, for them to come a bit to their senses. But we do see the dangers that there are for them. They don't learn wisdom and learn it young. That's all that we see at the moment, I guess, of young people not sure who they are and trying to identify what their identity is and really getting quite lost and quite confused in it. But there is, and we've mentioned there, but it's also in the New Testament, a promise of blessing to them to heed, listen, perhaps think that their parents might know a thing or two. So Proverbs, um, or rather Colossians, and there in chapter 3, verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. That that order, that honour, that respect that is paid pleases God part of the cement of society. Without it, society begins to creak and may even collapse. Or Ephesians chapter 6 and uh, verses 1 to 3, and where we read their children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. That's, there is a prospect of something more long-term and stable from having listened carefully 
one's youth to one's parents. Don't listen to everything they say. All things, yes. Variety of topics, money and ideas about property and, uh, of course, about worship and the things of God. Yes, all kinds of things. Not everything they're going to say is right, and we're going to come to that in a moment. But without it, by the damage, you see young men in London make the gang their father figures, as it were, to a great, great disaster. There goes the sixth commandment at times, the seventh, why the eighth, the ninth, the whole lot goes down. And we could grieve, couldn't we, for seeing those results. So here's the ideal, and it doesn't always happen, does it? It doesn't always happen that way. But this is the ideal that God holds out for us to aspire towards. My second heading, not everything in the past was good. Right? Not everything in the past was good. We can hark back to past days, perhaps days we never lived in. Rather imagine that everything was somehow better and there was law and order. and Well, there was a fair more measure of that. But it had its difficulties too. It was too severe at times. Too severe on children, too violent toward them, too lacking in compassion, not enough thought of them and their needs. And, well, I can remember, and some of us will know who I'm speaking about here because he used to attend church here with his wife, and he was called Home to Glory, and his wife moved south. So those of you who know will already know, but uh, a good friend there, Vic it was, wasn't it? And he was a stammerer and uh, at school telling me, oh dear, the trouble and the grief. And he'd be written off, basically, wouldn't he? As nothing much there and chided and ridiculed and insulted because he had a stammer. And then, apparently, this is how the story went. There was a teacher who, who was the sort of metalwork, woodwork kind of teacher there. Had a teacher that never kind of got very far with me. But anyway, took Vic under his wing. And uh, I think I remember the story right there, but, you know, lunchtimes, they'd be there working together in the workshop and making stuff. And of course, that's where Vic found really what he was about and a great gift for making things. And actually, as I just cast my eye around here and some of the things that we can see actually were his handiwork and other things too that he's made and, well, made fun of because he stammered. I tell you what, that was a gift and a half that he had and uh, really... One sad that other children in that age, in that day, and going back further, that they didn't get the help, they didn't get the encouragement, the understanding that they should, and that people were far too quick to, to ridicule, and, uh, and I guess in many places actually still are. And somewhere within it too, the idea of a great angry God, great angry judge, every little fault or foible of the child, and that would damn them to hell, or something like that, and one just fears a stunting and a, a misery that was brought. And here's are some children's homes that were ostensibly Christian. One shudders the mistreatment of the children. And those, uh, some scandals weren't, I think, in, in Ireland some few years back. And not our denomination, I have to say, but uh, one doesn't take any pleasure in saying that. But where the treatment of children, they were born out of wedlock, weren't they? And just made to feel as if they were guilty and horrible and such awful treatment that they had. No, not everything in the past was good. And there have been, haven't there, some dreadful uncoverings in children's homes of, of events, perhaps less so now, more so in the past, where children were just so, so badly treated and so shamefully. You can think back then, perhaps you can, to school days and 
it was pretty summary justice at times and pretty arbitrary treatment. Head teachers who smacked first and asked questions later. And it didn't help. It didn't help. It gives a sense of injury and a sense of injustice, actually. It doesn't actually inculcate respect for authority figures. It makes you perhaps fear them, but not respect them, if that makes sense. And so not everything in the past was good. Really, um, the authorities are given there for evildoers to fear. Romans chapter 13, and perhaps there, and children that are particularly uh, bent on evil do well to heed this. Romans 13, verse 4, the magistrate, he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Well, evildoers, beware. That's what the, the judge is there for, the magistrates, and whatever else doesn't bear the sword in vain. But that's not all there is. Those who are not doing evil, they shouldn't be made to fear, <laughs> be afraid. Yes, certain folks are, aren't they? They just need to see a policeman and they're suddenly breaking out into a cold sweat or just think back to school and suddenly reduced to a sort of gibbering wreck because of the rather harsh treatment that they had there. So not everything in the past was good. Some things were, and there were some better things and things we lost, which I think we should deeply regret, but not all of it. And children were sometimes the ones that were the victims of some of the worst aspects of the past. Well, my third heading, and we, we have all of us who are parents, I'm afraid we'll all agree with this. Not everything parents do is right. Okay. Not everything that parents do is right. They, they might think it is, and uh, I feel as if they've got it all, know it all, make their children feel pretty miserable if somehow they don't live up to that expectation. But uh, parents like that do well to actually look at themselves more carefully in the mirror. Because parents are sinful people. Parents were born with original sin. Parents may not have had the best parenting themselves, may have uh, missed a few things along the way, and then find themselves with children. And uh, parents can be the worst things imaginable for children. Families can be the worst things imaginable for children, with the exception of everything else that you could name. And so, well, the writer to the Hebrews sort of almost anticipates something of this by, by just speaking there, about parents in verse 10 of Hebrews 12, that they chastened us for a few days as seemed best to them. They did their best. That's <laughs> not saying there and they got it all right. It's saying, well, we respect them, but uh, we can't believe that they got it all right. God does better than that. He is a perfect father. And when he chastens, well, he does it rightly and he knows what he's doing. Uh, our parents, perhaps at times, we may look back, may have got it wrong. And I'm sure if they're honest, I'm sure if we're honest as parents, we'd all say there are times we got it wrong. Misread a situation, said something cutting, cruel, unkind, we were tired, whatever, and the wrong thing came out. So parents themselves. Of course, it changes there if our children, we were converted while they were children. It's a bit of a sea change maybe there. Uh, or converted after they'd grown up and, and moved away or or circumstances and the nature of the relationship had changed. Well, we're always growing, changing, learning as parents, learning from, I hope, our mistakes and uh, our own sinful capacities, tendencies, and how those can at times overspill onto children. And we're always looking to, to do better, looking to learn from our mistakes and 
then seek not to reproduce them in the future. How often it's been, and we'll come to some scriptures in a minute, that parents can be overbearing. Fathers particularly can be overbearing and generate something in their child that isn't actually respect, but again, it's fear. And it's a misshapen relationship. It's not a, a sound relationship. So, and here is the wisdom of scripture, isn't it? So people thought that scripture, all it said was beat your child or something like that. Well, really, what a mischaracterization. Look, Ephesians 6, verse 4. And you fathers, spoken to children, obey your parents. Just as parents think, right, that's good. Get those children to listen to us. Oh, dear. Verse 4. You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Bring them up in the training. There's the word again. And admonition. Of the Lord, I'm up in that training, and that training includes appeal, includes expressions there of love and encouragement, particularly encouragement in the things of God. But don't provoke your children to wrath, overbearing or inconsistent, or something, some attitude there, or always angry with them, or something critical, belittling them, because you provoke them to wrath, and that wrath may stay many, many a long year, and lead to painful relationships with grown-up children. Colossians 3 and in verse 21, again, there's another similar uh, instruction there. And we note again, it's given to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged, that their spirit is broken, that somehow they're, again, insulting, belittling, ridiculing the child. They become discouraged, become depressed, Become just negative about themselves there, and although the word self-esteem is a lot we want to say against that, there's a place for it, and that place in the home, encouragement of parents should should help to strengthen a sense of having worth and having being and being able to make a contribution rather than feeling that they're useless and rubbish and will never do anything in life. And that can often come from parents, unfortunately, words that have been said. And it discourages them and can lead them to be very sad, very depressed people that don't really fulfill their potential and really never got off the ground because of what happened there at home. And I have to say it, that my observation is that far too many Christian homes are producing far too many atheist children or children confused about their gender. Something is going wrong at times in Christian homes Our children are being treated in those homes, something too strong, something too severe, something overbearing. And that discouragement or that wrath is being taken out in the end there by becoming quite atheistic. And I've heard too many stories of that for that just to be like a passing observation. So not everything parents, and that includes Christian parents, not everything they do is right. And because we're with the parents here, we're going to finish with them too, fourth heading Parents need to work harder. That's the fact. At all ages, in our children's life, we haven't lost them when they turn 20 or 18 or something. They're they're still with us. And I say that there with experience and my favour. They're still with us. And we need to learn and work harder as parents when they grow up, still have a contribution to make. And that contribution, well, I use the words carefully and advisedly there, not sort of beating them over the head with a catechism or a kind of Bible text or something like that, but ourselves to be more sanctified, to actually be the Bible text, to actually be the catechism lived out. 
not something to be learnt by rote, but something that can be read from us as parents, as living epistles of Christ, more sanctified in our behaviour, our reactions, how we treat children, how we treat everybody, and how they see us treating everybody. Or to use the expression, in touch with ourselves, weaknesses, our own fears, our own failures, and able to deal with those carefully and wisely, perhaps discreetly, they don't become somebody else's problem as well. Being self-aware, being able to resolve our inner conflicts better, that'll need of us to be more prayerful, and indeed better listeners at times, listeners to our own soul, the griefs and the clamorings within there, and being ready to mortify sin, be sanctified, be on our own case as Bible-believing Christians, wanting to grow, wanting to change, that we then bring something better, something more to our children, including to our grown-up children, let alone those that are more uh, more in their sort of early stage childhood, that we then go to them with what we have learned. And it's whatever stage of life, no matter how old they are, to be able to still speak with them and even admit things we got wrong, to own to the things we didn't get right, say a few sorries maybe there, and have some hopeful embraces and reconciliations within it. And within it too, and well, this can't always apply, can it? But the father and the mother relationship that children see, that that's, that's important. But uh, just make that comment there in, in passing. Because children need to see something that's worth honouring. They need to see in their parents, father and mother, something to honour. No, honour, not fear. Something to respect, not dread. That uh, something's failed utterly if all we've done is instill fear. And that they're simply responding to us like that for the now, but won't wait to get away from home and to rebel, perhaps in quite spectacular fashion. They need to see something to honour in us, including our grown-up children, and to see that we're still a work in progress, but a work nonetheless, that that honour, that respect can be paid, that they will hear what we have to say, maybe, and the appeals that we can still make to them. To learn the instruction, well, yes, we all learn a little bit more as we grow up, I think the fact is, and we learn in things of God, certainly. And if we weren't converted people when our children were growing up, or were in some way other place, theologically, and we can bring the mature benefits of, of that learning to them. And so may God help us, as uh, the company here, notable exception, we trust one day, my dear friend, that you, you all have a family too. But for the meantime, that we would attempt to be at our best for the children, their own children, members of our families, extended families, grown-up children, younger children, there at Seekers Club, whatever else, that they'll see something that is actually worthy of respect and that commends to them Christ, the loving Saviour, and that through him they will find the good that he can do for their soul. Amen.